This is the UK House Builder and Developer from Good to Great series with Gerard Ball, Managing Director of Human Capital Group, helping you build your UK house building teams and businesses fast. We find the top 15% of talent in the market by harnessing the power of big data, 24-7-365 digital automation platforms and inbound strategies. Leveraged by 20 years successful mid to senior level recruitment experience. This episode, Strata Homes CEO Andrew Weaver adds his expert insight to the From Good to Great podcast series. Andrew is the fourth generation Weaver to hold the chief executive mantle at the privately owned Yorkshire House Builder, which builds around 700 units annually. In this interview, Andrew discusses, among other things, his commitment to customer experience and relationship building. Strata's digital approach to customer engagement and how his own passion for design fits the picture. So hi, good afternoon, Andrew, CEO of Strata Homes. And, you know, hello and thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Good to talk to you. What I'd like to understand, first of all, I'm sure the listeners will be interested in, is just to get a picture of Strata Homes and sort of the the size of the business and, and, and the type of developments which you produce. We develop uh, through Yorkshire, uh, Humberside and the East Midlands. So from a central point of Doncaster, that's our singular one office, which is quite important to us. So we'll probably touch on that a bit later. But that allows us a, a kind of a radius of around an hour and three quarters. And um, we've currently at around just short of 700 homes per year off about 18 live developments, although... As we all know, you need quite a few in the pipeline to back that up and keep that momentum going. But broadly, we, we furthest point north would be North Yorkshire, that is forthcoming site at Dishworth. And then we kind of follow the A1, M1 corridor down to Leicester. So it big stronghold in West Yorkshire, West Yorkshire city region, Leeds and Wakefield. And we follow it all the way down to south of Chesterfield into Derby, Nottingham, Leicester, and a little bit of Burton. And is this because 700 units is as it, it's right up there with some of the biggest regions within the nationals? There's not really many more, many which are over yeah. 700 units. Is it, a, a, do you operate out of the one office? I think there's a, probably a little bit of a difference from the outset there in that we've got one, one singular office in Doncaster, but we, we've, we're not that hung up on, on it. I think. Naturally, PLCs and the way they're governed because of their structure means that they have to have a certain hierarchy. They have to have certain red lines around geographical areas for discipline and so they don't cross over. But we've got more flexibility because we're privately owned. So I'm not saying that we go crazy and that we go anywhere because you need some control with your private or public, but we're not hung up on the constraints of geography, we're more prudent with the banking and uh, our, our, our exposure to risk. We got ourselves to 500 and went, oh my goodness, 501. And then, then we got ourselves to 600 and we said, to 600. So actually, it's, it's in itself. We've stopped talking about that and more looked probably a little bit more smart about it and said it's not about the limitations of geography and, and and your ability to support from one office or smaller offices. It's about hanging on to a culture that you hold and prize dear under one roof and then really disseminating that out into the field so that you've got lots of little sub-businesses that treat each outlet as a business of their own right. So 
I think our, our structure and ownership allows us to be a little bit more agile, perhaps. And in, in terms of the, the, the type of quality of house that you produce, how, how would you describe it? We were always originally, when we branded as Strata in 2001 and two, we, we were, were kind of well, we got well known for first time buyer, entry level homes. So anything from around a three bedroomed home at 800 square feet to townhouses at broadly 1,200 to 1,300 square feet. But that was back in the kind of the PPG3 days of Prescott. And that's a long time ago now. And the recession allowed us to, allowed land values to come back a bit. So land prices came down and densities came down. So we, we kind of now got the range. So we, we, if, you, if we were Audi, we've got the A1 and we've got the A8. You know, we can do the lot. But equally, it's really important that you've got a an identity. And I think we're coming back to something at the moment where because we've tasted all of it, we sort of really like that highly aspirational first-time buyer that is really, I'm not saying risk-taking, but certainly go-getting, likes fashion, likes design, probably in their early 30s. And we like that on the fringe of exciting places to live. So key cities and key towns. And that's, that's a fair, as you've already mentioned, that's a fairly big departure from where the company has come from. Um, yeah, well, when, when I say that, I'm probably in the, when we were still a fledgling house builder in the mid 90s, what we built was very much driven by banking. You know, it was as how fast could we build a starter home on cheap land to get the scaffolds dropped to turn the cash to build a balance sheet. And then when you've got a little bit more well on your back, you can start to then think about what do you want to stand for and where are the gaps in the market? And we're probably at that stage now with 15, 16 years on that we're starting to say, we've got a little bit of an identity and something going. It's now about really reinforcing that rather than just being a replica and don't, don't be a replica or a poor relation to anyone else. Try and forge your own plough, really. And then, you know, I've obviously read up about you and uh, done, done my own research. You're, you're the fourth generation yes. of that business. Is, is, is that correct? It is, yeah. yeah. It doesn't feel like it, though. And um, that's absolutely in no way a, a disrespect to, to the past. It's just that, like any business over generations, um, and just you only have to see the speed of change in our own working environments in the last five to ten years to know that, a business that turned 100 or turns 100 in the new year, from yeah. 1919, uh, which is, you know, there is a moment where you're proud of that. We've had a payroll for 100 years, which is a terrific thing. At the same time, you know, I look at when I came in in 95, 96, and it honestly felt like my, my father was managing director and chairman and straddling two very, very different businesses in contracting and a, and a very, very young house building business, land finding business, really. So I really feel, I feel in many ways that it's, it's second generation. And in, 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 in truth be known, we'd got a, quite a lot of land that we'd, we'd negotiated, but we, we'd only got two or three sites. So it did feel like I was in a, a very early young startup business, which it was right. a big, big thing for me, really. So don't get too hung up on the fourth generation. I'm going to handle my moustache. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sat here in sepia, you know. <laughs> I know everybody's listening. Thinking <laughs> um, into, look, 
you know, grow, growing up where, you know, main contracting house building mm. is, you know, obviously very, very strong with, within the family culture. What was, you know, what was your, your, your childhood like? In- yeah, well, it was, it certainly, from a contracting point of view, it's a tough old business and low margins, very politically driven and very hard nosed. Uh, so that we were certainly by no means pushed into it. Um, I'm one of three, the eldest of three. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so it was never something that was a foregone conclusion that we we should be encouraged to go into it. Um, far from it. I mean, I, I'm, are all three of you in the business? Not at all. No, my, my sister was a, got a, a drama degree down in London and my brother was a professional footballer. So we, we all very, you know, I'm from an arts literature. I studied English literature at Cambridge. We all were really encouraged to do our own thing and follow our passion as far as it would take us. So it wasn't though there was a backdrop of expectation at all. It was it just with the, with the very early house building blank canvas that was there just made me think I could do something and shape it and make it make it. Ah, oh, it doesn't sound as though there was a master plan here, but make it my own. In that I had, I had an opportunity that wasn't fully fully formed, and I quite I like that. I'm a I think I'm a bit of an ideas kind of guy, and I, I like the idea that I couldn't step into something that was mature. That was for sure. But you know, this this industry and and, and main contracting as well. You know, the, the people who work it in general, the guys at the top are, are really hard working. Yeah. You know, did father instill any values into you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, we're, we're Yorkshire folk. You know, we're, we're quite straightforward in the way we we, we address people. We're, we're quite honest. And I think, you know, without being too verbose about it, all we were, we were taught to be well-mannered and uh, be polite and also very grounded. Uh, you know, we know airs and graces and, you know, there's a, a mutual respect, but also respect for your elders. And, and I guess I'm sounding like a, an old man, but I, I think those manners and that kind of upbringing it doesn't take long for that if you're in a position of seniority where you're in a responsible position, responsible for others. You start, that's it's amazing how that comes through in your own culture because you want to live in an environment where you think that's that reflects your own cultures and, and values as well. So, yeah, I guess it's amazing how they find their way through. What was it about, you know, you went to Cambridge University. Yeah. Also, you've been to, to Harvard as well. Yeah. I'm looking at your profile. I'm looking as a recruiter, thinking I could get you a job in investment bank or or, mm. or elsewhere. Well, I don't know. Whatever would have floated your boat at the time. But what attracted you to house building and design? Design. I mean, I I've, I don't think um, I'm not a builder. Let me put that on the record. I'm not a builder. I'm certainly, you know, my wife has got the toolbox at home. It's not that. It's having an eye for a crossover of ideas and an openness to bringing outside influences in, back in. And, you know, at times that's not easy because you've got to, you've got to run a business properly and responsibly, and you've got to bring a lot of people with you who are from very, very task-orientated traditional backgrounds. It's funny, I think one of the things when I reflect has really worked for me and, it, and us over the last 15 years is that it attracts some really good people in that they want to belong and identify with something with a purpose that wants to be a bit different. And I probably, because of the opportunity I've been given it and my background being a bit left field, given me, it's given, it's given them something to latch onto to say, hey, 
I like his passion. I like his ideas. I think I maybe can help him because <laughs> I can actually maybe take some of his ideas and turn that into action. And I think when I look at it, I'm just thinking on my feet here. I think that's probably one of the biggest attractions is that people say, we can turn this into something. And that's what's perhaps driven it forward. So just, you know, so, so when a young Andrew Weaver, you know, he, he joins a house building business, uh, when, did you say mid, when did you join the business? Uh, mid to late 90s when I got foothold, really. So quite a learning curve. Oh, massive. Yeah. I went from finishing finals on Anglo-Saxon one week to learning about Dabproof course in Armthorpe and Doncaster the week after. It was brilliant because that's what life's about. It's about outside of your comfort zone. And yeah, within three or four years, I kind of found my way around decent amount of exposure to enough. But, you know, if you're in it and it's small, and it really, really was, it, it, it allowed you to get a toehold into everything fast so that you feel business. You, you know, well, I naturally gravitated towards sales and marketing. Of course I did. But then after that, if something doesn't sell, you wonder why it doesn't sell. Then you look at the product, then you look at the specification, then you look at motivation, then you look at people and culture. And without realizing it, it's just been exposed to it in the round, isn't it? And when you joined, did you, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, if I was working with my father, I don't know if that would have worked. <laughs> I don't know how well that would have worked. <laughs> We'd have been arguing uh, 24-7, I imagine. But in, in terms of, Reporting? Were you reporting to your father? Or no, no. It, it, I think it was a real quality, my father, to to bring in. Because again, just back to that crossover time between contracting and house building. We were we sold the contracting business in two thousand and nine. So there was a nearly a decade of two very different businesses under one roof. And my father brought in an MD from outside, uh, from from within house building, so a pure house builder. And that was really important because it gave us my father's entrepreneurial flair, I think, was on one, one half. Me with ideas and energy and, and youth and, 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 and vigor, I was pushing on the other. But somebody in the middle that was non-family, that I've always, back to authority, I've always respected and wanted to work for somebody in many ways. And I looked up to him. He got that ground in in, in the industry. And it was a great double act. Mm. You know, we not neither of us crossed, uh, stood on each other's toes. And my brother, my mother, I should say, and my father in the background just had that step away distance to allow the two of us to crack on. And I, I loved that. Uh, it was great formative years, great learning. And then, you know, just uh, along those lines, when you started to take over the company as CEO, what was the? Did you have to change or? Did the business change? No, no, it, not really. No, it's not, nothing. Nothing ever. Ha- nothing should, if you're doing it right, happen overnight. Should it? It should always be uh, an evolution. And I think I'd been made managing director in two thousand and six, seven. It was actually it was right on the verge of the recession. Uh, so I kind of had a early exposure in the probably the three or four years before where I was recruiting a lot. So it felt like my people had been recruited, and then it felt like my people had. I'd had to leave as well. So I'd actually seen quite a bit by the time 2009, 10, and 11, and the market started to slightly repair. So I don't think that there was a, a moment when suddenly it says CEO and you put a pinstripe suit on. It's not that. It was actually that we, 
I'd seen quite a lot by the time the market came back in 13 and 14, where I think it's it's really important, not just for yourself, but for others to see that you've not changed. I mean, we, it was working. We navigated ourselves through the recession very well. And then we came back really grasping the cudgel in 2012, 13. And I've really just, you mature because you've, you're older, but I don't think in many ways there was a, a massive step change. I think I've really enjoyed, I think you get ready in many ways. I think you're ready, but I don't think that the chief exec as was, he went into a part-time role looking at strategic land. He was there and my father's still there as chairman. So it was an evolution rather than any sort of one moment in time. And then, you know, just talking about some of the, the more difficult difficult things that you've had to overcome. As a CEO or the MD, is there any anything that you consider to be a failure within the business? No, that, that, no, I think, happened? and it sounds like I'm shifting, passing the book here, and I'm, I'm really not that man. Um, I've just before my time where we were we were right on that growth spurt in five, six, and seven, we did open an office in Leicester, and it was the wrong moment because it was difficult in terms of setting up and recruiting was tough because everyone was gainfully employed land values everybody was scrapping for the right piece of the land so you were left with the rest it could have worked in a different company but it proved to us that our culture and thinking about back where we started the interview with perhaps looking at support office and devolving it out into the field and making them more powerful rather than drawing and aping different companies in their style that was not not for us, and the people we recruited were from probably more corporate environments and didn't have that yearning to join something different with a different form of leadership and engagement because I was at arm's length. So when I look back, that wasn't the right thing, and it cost us time and energy to retrench, but we got some great people from it, as you always do, nothing's ever black and white, and a lot of them are still yeah. alongside us today. So that would be one. I think... Just to probably answer you more currently, and one that I'm seeing as of this moment, creating a striving culture that is natural to what our contracting routes and our early house building routes have been is about running up hills. It's about dirt under your fingernails, and it's about being first up, best dressed, and, and wanting it more than the next man. That's fine. It's brilliant. But equally, if we want to evolve into something different, you need other skills which are empathy and listening and being articulate and being able to communicate and read between the lines and our industry is known for that it would have been very cyclical and managing up and down market cycles but that usually gravitates to certain behaviors up and down the cycle and we want to be in for the long haul and we want to be a different kind of articulate and please don't take this the wrong way. And listeners don't want to take it the wrong way either. I, I just think that what gets you there, I guess it's a bit back to my brother in football. It's what gets you there necessarily over time has to evolve into something else and different skill sets. And that can be painful when certain people can take you so far that did well in one part of the journey that might not hold fast in the next. And that's, that's hard because that's nobody doing anything wrong. That's just the journey, isn't it? When I certainly when I talk to people or or I talk to people headhunt people you know in and around Yorkshire and and Strata comes up the culture does seem certainly to be a fresher newer type of culture than the 
what the industry has been renowned for. And and maybe the, the industry as a whole is pushing in a different way with the millennials coming into the business and, and these types of things. Is that something that you're really aware of, that, that you know, the, the people that the industry is trying to attract now is very different to what I it think, was like? Um, well, even, I think, I think um, it is, uh, I'm sure. I don't think there's ever been a, a word that's been used more than millennial in the last year. And I think, <laughs> you know, I think what's happened is because, before the recession, everyone was going to a, a push to zero carbon. Then there'll be a push to, and I think we've got to be really careful that everyone naturally will have to say the right things at a point in time, not even consciously. It's just that they're reading about it every waking hour and listening to it. Actually making a culture that's your own, that is right and fit and nourished over time, means that you've got to shape it to match your customer more and more. They've got to talk the same language. And it might be, I don't know, if you're McCarthy and Stone, you might have to match up eight more like their age of the customer because there needs to be that kind of reflectiveness on both sides of the table. Well, we don't want to, just as I said earlier, spread across every different segment of the, of the, of the industry or of the market. We want to be known for something specific. And we've naturally found that customers and our willingness to, to listen to them because we can learn from them means that we attract a similar age group that are like our customers. I don't think there was a recruitment drive. It's just happened. So much of business is about instinct and intuition rather than a manual. And I think we're, we're definitely shaped to be that kind of business. So I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a fad. And I don't know how many others are following us in that way although I'm not as bombastic to say that we exist in a bubble either. <laughs> Just going back to the customer experience, because um, as a business, you really seem to have a huge focus on the customer and you've done a, a number of things such as kind of your, your VIP yeah. parties mm-hmm. and which are quite, you know, that type of thing in, in London is quite, yep. quite popular yep. to be fair. You know, with all the you know guys living in the city, etc. But I, I hear less mm. about it as you know, in, in the more regional places. But just just tell us a little bit about that because I think it's yeah. Well, we did we did it from the outset just because we wanted to say thank you, which sounds really schmaltzy, doesn't it? But we 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 did we did, and um, I remember the first time we did it, I, I said I was going to dress everybody in Strata t-shirts. Never you're not getting me in a t-shirt. You're not wearing me in a t like this. And all oh, I remember that being in two thousand and three. And then we said, well, let's meet our customers. Yeah. And they said, well, what if the punchers? What if we get punched? And I said, well, we'll get a, well, we'll get a black <laughs> eye then, won't we? But then at least we'll know. We'll know the truth. And we went along and we couldn't close the doors. It was nigh on midnight. And we're not talking, as you say, the city of London where everybody takes a tube home. These are people that just didn't leave. And I've not said everyone that's I've not said everyone that's been like that, but I remember that first one, customers were telling us about customers were handing their business cards saying, Can they join? Customers were saying, I've got an idea for a concept for a house that might be an extension to your product range. I remember. And I remember thinking, I didn't know any different, so I didn't know that was a bit unique. But what we've more and more and more we've done that, and the more and more that blurring of the lines between us and them, the more the less and less transactionary it's got, the more and more relationship orientated it's got, the more and more people say, you know, you're going to have to have, you know, a recruitment of like we've had over the last four or five years. 
And we've got a whole bunch of 25 to 30-year-olds that are saying, hey, what wasn't the VIP party last night? Great, we learned this, I met so-and-so. And, and, and it gathers its own momentum where it's not a forced practice. It's just a part of what we are. And it's very special because it provides the jump leads into the next day to, you know, it really reinforces why we are here. And I think I don't, I don't matter whether you're in London or whether you're in Doncaster or Leeds, it, the reinforcement of, of what the point of what you do is, is really, really, really key. We even got the accounts there, you know, last week. The whole department went. I could not believe I've been trying that for 15 years, you know. <laughs> I was also just looking at your, your your engagement with on social media, you know, 7,000 media follow, followers for, you know, for, for private companies is pretty impressive. I'll have to go and check the, yes. other, the other private companies out to see how that does stack up. But uh, it sounds pretty good to me. Just kind of, not, mm. not finally, but gone through tremendous growth from from 2013 to 2018 where your your turnover's grown from 40 million up to a you know 150 million pounds where do you see strata heading in the in the future yeah What's, well i think the most important thing of everything except in market cycles i always have to caveat that because when we're always good at never more than at the moment <laughs> i think except in those cycles the day that you say mm. that you've stopped and that we've reached this summit of 700 and the geography or the the striving part that i mentioned earlier means that we've finished the days when we should we should stop because that 25 year old coming back from the vip party full of energy says mm. the game's up mr weaver and i cannot have that i cannot have that for him and i can't have it for me so We've been doing quite a lot of soul searching of late, and we it, it sure isn't about growth for growth's sake. That's not smart, but it's certainly about being clever with modern methods of construction because we're to keep this millennial first time buyer that we're really hot and engaging on the seventeen thousand posts that we get. They they're going to want personalization right. because they're seeing it in every other form of their retail experience so we have to go there in the next two three four years so i think addressing there'll be a, a kind of all-encompassing moment for us where we've done things quite interesting in different in terms of engagement and following and that tribe that we've been building for the last 10 years people gravitate to but holding on to that and then really nourishing that and making that more energized over time, we will have to address the way we go about our manufacturing side of things to either grow the volumes further, make it more personalized, make it more component and smart and more holistic because you can't keep that digital energy going without balancing that up with equal ability to produce and customize and i think the strata brand will have to be all encompassing in that way so yeah we won't be stopping shortly you know this is uh, <laughs> this feels only half time <laughs> <laughs> and just you know on a personal yeah level. well i think it's kind of everything we've just been talking about really is i hope comes across in that i've no lack of passion for it but kind of reorientating it so that I become more of a person that can take on the, find the golden nuggets, you know, have the, have the space and the, the breathing space from it, from that 
effervescence to be able to pick the moment of where there's something special and turn that back into the innovation side, which I've always enjoyed, and then make that get the guys who are good at the business as usual to then breathe life into it. So probably just having that slightly just obtuse angle where I can listen in more and make us balance us up from being not just the striving culture, but the learning culture as well. That's got to come from me. All right, Andrew, thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Discover how to build your UK house builder business and attract the top 15% of leadership talent using one-to-many platforms, automation, and 24-7, 365 proven digital strategies before your competition. Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts from the Good to Great series, featuring leading voices from the UK house building industry, from small to medium businesses to leading PLCs. Don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best content possible. For more information, call 0203 800 1080 or check out www.hc-group.co.uk and book a client or candidate blueprint strategy session.